Welcome back to part two on uh, legislative bills in California, the the patterns we are seeing with possibly other states now as it relates to legislation and COVID protocols and some things outside of COVID protocols, but more just where are we seeing the pharmaceutical industry kind of stepping into the legislative process that's going to affect individual rights, your children's rights? How is that showing up and breaking down some specific examples based on what we're seeing this season here in California? All right, yeah. So we had we had split this piece into into two separate pieces. So yeah, let's pick up. Uh, I had this vision, you know, twenty years ago when I started this mission, speaking about vaccine safety and vaccine decisions. I had this vision that, oh yeah, the medical community would listen to me, everyone would listen to me, and we would have totally reformed our our you know our childhood vaccine program by now, and the nation would have risen up and and you know uh, fought against our pharma funded government. Pharma would be brought down a few notches. You know, government legislators who are in pharma's pocket would be voted out. Everyone would love medical freedom, and you think, of course. Our, our society would the go in that direction. Wins. Right, the good guy wins. And you're wearing yeah. your headband yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the end of this with and a I cape. Can, and I can exercise every day. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. The okay. cape's blowing in yes. the wind. You're at the top of a hill. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you yeah. have a headband. Yeah. I would need to get the muscles uh, <laughs> muscles for that that pose. But, um, and you've succeeded. No, but, and as you guys see, it's going in the other direction. And that's why this fight never ends. Mm. And I, ca- I came to the conclusion many years ago that... When I leave this planet, hopefully many decades from now, I I will not have brought things to a place where we have won to that degree. I, I, I don't think that's realistic. What I hope is that instead of having 5% of Americans in this health freedom mm. fight, we have 51% of Americans in this health freedom fight. Or let's go and for herd immunity. Let's go for 95%. Yeah, 90, yeah no, you're right. You're right. <laughs> That's the magic 95%. number. It's always the magic yeah, number. Yeah, and I would be happy if simply our numbers of people have risen to such a level that we can influence society. And 200 years from now, I'll have a plaque somewhere on a wall that says, you know, thank you, Dr. Bob, for for contributing to the uh, the betterment of our world by making us aware of the dangers of a pharma funded uh, government and a and a pharma filled society i suppose you could say and um well, I mean, so, it, it, it shows kind of what happens when, whenever too much power is in one hand. Right. So right, like we kind of look right. at it like we, people think of politics like, oh, when you have a dictatorship, there's too much power in the hands of one person or one small teeny tiny group and people get greedy. Mm-hmm. And this is the reality of human nature. And the thing is, is, you know, uh, for those who were psychology, sociology, uh, any kind of social science major... Uh, studying human behavior is always really fascinating, right? Because there are certain truths about humans, no matter whether we're talking about 2000 years ago or now, that even if you want to do the right thing necessarily in politics, what tends to happen to most of these people that get into it? They start out with these very lofty ideals. They want to help people. They, they maybe have very innocent intentions. And before they know it, 
they're playing the game of politics, which is oh, yeah. you are yeah. being paid to make this decision. You are you now become indebted to different people because they have financially supported your ability to stay in politics yeah. Oh, yeah. every two or yeah, four that, years. It's a system. Yeah. It's a system. Yeah. So what happens to the guy who maybe started out going, I'm going to really make a difference, yeah. that 30 years into it, he turns into the guy who knows how to play the game to stay in office. Right. And so because we know that's the nature of what happens to humans when you're surrounded by bribery, money, greed, um, theft, betrayal, all these negative aspects that show up in our human relationships and have mm-hmm. always been there. Yeah. That's since the dawn of time, yeah. these things have existed, even in tribal communities, right, on some level. Um, knowing that about humans, the more power that we're giving to smaller groups, the more that these companies buy out other companies and become monopolies. Um, as we see this with social media, uh, when, when one major social media giant buys another social media giant, now it owns all of it and can control what information is there. It's, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to understand that it's dangerous for the people when somebody has too much power. And it just so happens the pharmaceutical industry has been one of those arms Mm -hmm. of maybe we'd call a universal dictatorship, let's say like a global dictatorship that Mm -hmm. is happening. The pharmaceutical industry is an arm of that, a very powerful arm of that, that used to not be as powerful. And maybe it was mostly oil and tobacco. And those Mm -hmm. were the things running things. And now we see this rise of the pharmaceutical industry. And so somebody might say, well, you know, they're a business, it's a corporation, everybody has, it's a capitalistic society, Mm -hmm. they have a right to do that. It's like, yes, however, think about what that power means as far as where their influence goes, and how that influence is factoring into an average American's daily life. Right. Most people probably don't think it does. And if they saw the diagrams, they saw the spider web formations that came from one central point, and how influenced we are... On so many levels, how our policy has been shaped, things that you'd think have no connection to that and how they're connected to that, like that's why it's dangerous. And so the pharmaceutical industry is not just one, you know, money hungry guy who's going to eventually die out and it's going to be better. (laughs) This has now become integrated into our daily life, including things like our social media, our school policies, our regular freedoms and public health policies, our ability to go and work and do as we saw in the last two Mm -hmm. years. This is all connected to the power of that same pharmaceutical industry. There's nothing else ruling that except for that. And that is a super dangerous thing as a society. And it's only going to get worse if more people don't you know, push back against it. Right. The third bill, um, somewhat similar, um, but even has more support is AB 1993, Assembly Bill 1993. It was actually introduced by Aguilar Curry, Mm -hmm. because Senator Pan is not in the Assembly. So, um, so, Isn't that uh, Cecilia? Um, first name? I forget Cecilia? her first name. Yeah, yes. maybe. Um, so she has introduced a bill um, that's going to require COVID vaccine for all employees and independent contractors in California. And this has a lot of Democratic support. Ten, ten Democratic uh, legislators have signed on to support this. Um, it's going to be assigned to the Labor and Employment Committee and the Judiciary Committee. Um, and... I think the only caveat is that they will allow religious exemptions 
and they will allow medical exemptions, but the law says these are going to be subject to verification, Mm -hmm. including the religious exemptions are going to be subject to verification. I'm wondering if the fact that there's even an exemption added on to this is why 10 are willing to sign on to this, because that's even more than what's signing on to 871. Right. Um, So maybe they're thinking, oh, well, that's okay if somebody has a real... But even still, I mean, you know, I just... There have been so many people pushing back against employee mandates, including uh, first responders and law enforcement. You see all these people willing to lose their jobs over this. Uh, it just doesn't seem like you should be able to make the entire population of California that's going to be employed, which is everybody, <laughs> uh, be, have to do this unless they have one particular religious exemption to it. I mean, that's still not enough. It's not enough. It should be a choice, period, regardless. Right, right, right. So that's uh, AB 1993. The next one is uh, SB, back to the Senate, 1479, SB 1479, introduced by Senator Pan. It, um, it's, it calls for uh, continued COVID testing for all public schools, schools that receive uh, funding, government mm-hmm. funding. They are calling for all schools to continue putting forth their plans to show that they are doing ongoing testing not just for teachers and employees, but for students but as is well. is this assuming that they're also vaccinated? Like, is this going right, to testing continues oh, yeah, post-January? Oh, yeah. yeah. So we're yeah. all going to have to be vaccinated to be there, but we're going to also have to undergo mandatory testing on a regular basis too. Right, for schools. But would that be right. because we know the vaccine doesn't work all yeah, the time? Yeah, because why would you need yeah. testing if you're forcing everybody to get vaccinated? Yeah. Who knows? I mean, they're not testing in schools now. Right. Um, and, but this bill, I don't know if this bill is going to then force them to begin testing or, or just. Well, LA school district, Mm -hmm. I think in in the County we're doing testing because the the vaccine wasn't mandatory yet. Um, but even still, it makes no sense to continue testing if everybody's forced vaccinated anyway. Yeah. But this, this has democratic support. There are seven democratic senators that have signed on to support this. It's only assigned to one committee, the health committee. So all these bills are these are these are all sort of like the the COVID vaccine uh, topic bills. These four bills are all sort of centered around the COVID vaccine. They all have a lot of support, you guys, and so this is very concerning. The next bill, which is kind of interesting, um, that does not have support, uh, is um, uh, SB fourteen sixty four by Senator Pan one four six four. It's the one that uh, involving law enforcement, um, and it doesn't have any support. No other senators have signed on to support it. This is the bill where um, it requires sheriffs to enforce public health rules. Which they weren't doing if they didn't agree with it during COVID. The current law gives sheriffs the authority to, to enforce public health orders, but this new law would require sheriffs to enforce those orders. And they were so, notorious during COVID for being the head, you know, sheriffs coming up and doing viral videos, basically saying, we will not be forcing people to wear masks. Right. We will not be forcing them to go right. home or whatever. Like right. we give people the rights to make those choices yeah. for themselves. Yeah, to let your local law enforcement officers you decide how to enforce the law in their jurisdictions. And so this yeah. would make it so that even if they disagree with it, they'd have to. Right, exactly. And so it has no support yet, um, SB 1464. And what's interesting is uh, this bill was set for a hearing, and then Senator Pan took it off the schedule at that hearing, probably because of lack of support. 
And and I've heard that the law enforcement organizations are fighting against this one as well. So yeah, I hope so. It might not go anywhere. But again, that that's kind of a niche sort of bill. It's not a bill that like affects, you know, like all the families, all the schools, all mm-hmm. the kids and your decision whether or not to get COVID vaccine. So I almost wonder if he if they made these totally ridiculously stupid bills, mm-hmm. knowing they could like set them aside in favor of people supporting maybe the the one or two that they really like. Want to okay, put we'll fold on these, yes, but yeah. we'll just do these instead. Exactly. It makes it look like you win it. You're winning exactly. when you're not. So this next bill is uh, is I think um, one that is sort of important to me personally, but it has no support yet. Fortunately, it's. Senate Bill 920, SB 920. It was actually put in by Senator Hurtado, not Senator Pan, and it has no support yet. Um, uh, no other, you know, uh, no other people have signed on to support it. It is the bill, it's the medical board, medical board bill. It's the bill that, um, that basically gives the medical board the authority to walk into any doctor's office and review their confidential patient files without patient consent and without a judge's order. Mm. Um, and, and right so, now it's just a judge's order uh, right now to where if a judge makes it the, the makes a um, conclusion that, that these files need to be reviewed, then at that point they can go in and look through confidential right. files, right? right? But what you're saying is this bill is going to make it so at any time, anywhere, there can be, who are the people that get to go, that are going through it? Right, exactly. And and that's hugely concerning to me, you know, because right now everyone's medical files are confidential in every doctor's office. And if the medical board wants to investigate a doctor, the medical board needs a patient to either complain or they need some other person to use that patient's name to, to, compl- to, to uh, complain to the medical board on the patient's behalf or even not on the patient's behalf, but just simply using that patient as the, basically the plaintiff in the report. That's the only way a medical board can investigate a doctor and get that one file is if somebody complains, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. right? And so it would remove it would remove that step. Mm-hmm. The medical board can come in and say, "Oh, you know what, Doctor Bob, we we hear you. You know, you don't like vaccines, and you're issuing medical exemptions. We are now going to sit and look through. They could look through unlimited files if this passes, and and then." I mean, the, the one set of protection that exists is if they find something that they feel warrants investigation, they then have to go to a judge and get a judge to release the records to them to pursue an investigation. And that's how it currently is, right? If, if the medical board hears about a doctor they don't like and they want to investigate, and if a, if a patient won't complain but someone complains on the patient's behalf and the medical board receives a patient, a complaint with the patient attached to it, but the patient won't release the records right now. The patient disagrees with the investigation and doesn't want the medical board to get the records right now. The medical board can go to a judge, get the records released anyway, and investigate that patient record, even against the patient's Mm -hmm. uh, consent. So that's how it currently is. And that process will would continue under this law, right? The medical board could still investigate without patients complaining because that already is in place. It just makes it easier for them. It skips that initial first step. 
And essentially it, you know, like, like right now, I mean, if you're in law enforcement, if you work in law enforcement, um, you know very well, you have to have probable cause to, to go in and, and search someone's place. And if you don't have probable cause or you have to get a warrant and prove probable cause to a judge, and that's kind of how the current law exists with a medical board. You either have to have a patient complaint or have probable cause where a judge agrees and gives you essentially a search warrant to, to search those doctor's records for that, that patient's file and, and review it. This eliminates that. Mm. The medical board does not need probable cause. They're, they're, they're a law unto themselves. They don't have to get a judge's order or anyone else's permission. They can just say, hey, I'm going to go investigate this doctor Let's do it. We'll find some files and then we'll go to a judge and get the search warrant, so to speak. Yeah. And, and that would make it very difficult. I would say if that law passes, I would say I I would no longer be able to practice in California. It would it would basically make it impossible for not just me, but pretty much any naturally minded healthcare practitioner, anyone who practices integrative medicine. All of you out there who have an integrative medicine doctor, if you don't go to that doctor and tell them about this bill, have them call their senator and assembly person. Um, you yourself don't don't contact your assembly person. Mm. You're essentially kicking your your doctor out of California if this passes. I mean, this literally all of us doctors that practice um, medicine that kind of goes beyond the book, beyond the narrative beyond the mainstream medical narratives, uh, it'll make it be very mm. difficult to practice. Um, and we'll also have to be quieter. We're not going to speak in public mm. lest the medical board hear us and say, oh, Which is what you, they want, oh that's course. what you do in your office. I'm going to come and investigate your office. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so I guess uh, the, the good piece of news is this bill has no support. Um, it is... Re it is uh, Reviewed is only the Senator Hurtado is the only one that signed on so, for support. It's in the business committee and profession. It's in three committees, the business committee, the professions and economic development committee, and the judiciary committee. A hearing is set for April 4 in one of those committees for this bill. Um, so people got to get on, get on the ball with that. It's not a COVID issue. Mm -hmm. It's not a vaccine issue. It's a, do you like your natural healthcare practitioner issue? But that's why it's dangerous. They keep yeah. putting multiple bills out at the same time and it's hard yeah. for people to keep up with them. So they pass little things like this and people just aren't even aware of them. Yeah. That's yeah. the danger. Well, totally. Um, two more bills, uh, AB 2098, 2098 assembly bill. This is from assembly member Lowe. This does have a lot of support. Six Democrats have supported this bill. Um, it's re it basically is about unprofessional conduct by doctors, which sounds like you would want a bill for that, right? It what this means is any doctor that speaks or shares or posts online on social media, any doctor that that basically forwards any type of um, covid related information that is outside the mainstream narrative mm. that that is will be considered unprofessional conduct by the california medical board and that doctor can then be investigated for that action mm -hmm. and they won't even need a patient complaint for this all right right now a, a board can't investigate you for 
speaking your mind and, and using your First Amendment rights to speak about what you feel about mm-hmm. any issue, right? And if the medical board disagrees with you, they have no power to investigate. So all those vaccine talks I, get, I gave, all those town halls mm-hmm. we did, everything I've ever done in public, or even a post that I forward on Instagram right. because it's interesting, the medical board could investigate me for that and punish me take away my license if they want mm-hmm. or or put me on more proba- probation they would then consider it unprofessional conduct and unfortunately that that bill's kind of sexy to people it's interesting to people it has support cuz all the senators are like yeah let's get all those those bad doctors that are out there uh spreading misinformation which right? that, that leads that, to and the that, last that's a one, super right? scary bill that is like to me that's sort of one of the scariest bills on a society level Right. Um, that. Uh, but anyway, it's it's it is specific to covid uh, information, not just general vaccine information, but uh, specific to covid. The last bill is actually a similar a similar bill is by Senator Pan, SB 1390. It is a social media censorship bill. Mm-hmm. He has no support yet. Um, it is. Uh, so the last bill is in two committees. No, only. Oh, gosh. I should stress this last bill I talked about about unprofessional conduct regarding COVID for doctors is that's only in one committee, business and professions committee. Mm-hmm. So that's concerning. Mm-hmm. That means it's going to be easier to pass. So this this one, SB thirteen ninety, Senator Pan, it is it has no support yet, um, but it is basically it, it censors social media platforms that allow the posting of misinformation. Right, which is, again, right. who, who decides right. what misinformation is and who gets to control that. Right. Um, but, but now they're going to censor the social media platform. So Facebook will get fined. Mm. Instagram will get fined or punished if they allow the posting of mm. informa- misinformation. Not just COVID misinformation, but government conspiracies, uh, vaccine information, uh, COVID information, of course. Anything that they determine misinformation that the law will call for the social media platform to be censored, which will then cause them to basically not allow you to post it. Right now you can post it. Mm. They just won't share it. They won't spread it around. And they'll, they'll you know, put you in Facebook jail if right. you do it too often. I had a, a post recently taken down as a, a video about um, do doctors get uh, financial benefits from mandating vaccines in their office? And Facebook said nope. Uh, Instagram said, sure, but uh, Facebook Mm. took it down. But anyway, that's a side issue. So this isn't about censoring the people. It's more about censoring the social media platforms, which in turn censors people. Well, yeah. Yeah. It's just another way to go about convincing them to control what you say. So so what can you guys do about all this? I mean, we didn't touch a lot on the the speaking points on a lot of these because that would be its own podcast, of course. But um, Yeah, not the speaking points, but let me just quickly um, kind of look at each of these things, and if you were to get into a quick conversation with somebody, yeah. what would you say or how would you sum it up for what it is based on what you've said? Yeah. Uh, mostly starting with the most important ones, but let's say looking at 871. Okay, this is the one. SB 871 requires all kids to be vaccinated for COVID, public or private, including daycare and school age. So if you were going to get into a conversation with a family member or or friend or stranger about this, did you know that they have proposed a bill this season to make it mandatory for all children 
to be required to receive that vaccine to be able to go to school, and there are no exemptions to it. That means it's going to be mandatory for all kids from daycare age, which could be as, you know, I mean, it hasn't even been approved for under five, right. but it's they're working on it. So daycare age could be as, as early as six months, right? All the way up to high school age, every single child in the entire state, public or private, with no way to opt out of it. And it will be required, even though that we've, you know, we've seen outbreaks with fully vaccinated populations here. And even though there's a lot of public controversy about this, um, that one's a pretty self-explanatory one to be able to talk about because you can say they're going to mandate this vaccine for all kids, daycare, regular kids, public, private. Um, they will not be able to have a right to an education without being forced to get the COVID vaccine, which is highly controversial in itself. And, um, the technology is experimental. Uh, it, it's very unknown whether or not this vaccine has really actually helped in any way as far as stopping the transmission. We know it's not stopping it completely. We don't know if it stops it at all. So that one most people, I think, are open to because they've had a discussion amongst their friends and family about whether or not they thought it was okay to get. Some people got it because they were forced to because of their work, but they still wouldn't think it'd be okay for kids to be forced to, especially because they're in such the low risk group. Right. So this one's kind of an easy one to really summarize because you're saying it's going to force the vaccine for all kids from daycare age all the way to 18 years old. They will not be able to go to school, any type of school with any type of exemption if this bill passes. That's a, a pretty easy one. Uh, the one that... Um, is 2539 the next one you have, or which one do you have next? Um, 866. 866. But can I also mention, yeah. if you're talking to someone that, that is in involved in schools, this bill will hurt schools because enrollment is going to drop dramatically. Some people will comply and get the vaccines, but a lot of people then switch over to homeschooling, and then schools will be actually hurt significantly uh, financially by this bill, I feel, if it passes. Okay, and the next one, 866, so SB 866, this is the one about 12 years old having consent. I would simply say they're putting a bill out that's going to allow kids as young as 12 to make medical decisions on their own without letting parents know anything. Parents don't have to know. The school nurse can give your child this vaccine without your permission, without your knowledge. I mean, that's a pretty simple way to describe it When you and then go into the fact that kids at 12 don't know much about their medical circumstance to be able to make these decisions. Mm -hmm. The nurse might not know about their medical history. This is really dangerous if parents are now being kept out of the equation, being separated from their kids' decisions when you're the one that's raised them. Uh, that's a pretty simple one. Which next one do you have? It's a 1993. Okay, so this one's for, that's another big one that I think most people could get behind uh, opposing is that all employees being required to vaccinate. I mean, this was a discussion a year ago or a year and a half when this first came out. People's jobs were being threatened. Um, a lot of employers ended up caving to it, eventually allowing people back or maybe not holding on to it. But this would be a law that made it so that it was required everywhere for every job, all employees, including independent contractors who are 1099, who work as independent people between different facilities. Um, this would be required. So... If you're talking about this one, you would say perhaps the most important of, of these talking about all kids required to be getting vaccinated and then being able to say all employees would be required. Even though we're now two and a half, you know, two years with a few months into this pandemic, people are moving on with their lives. And now they're going to bring this into where you cannot have a job and support your family without being required to get this vaccine. So that's 1993 AB Assembly Bill. Those two to me are the ones that would probably have the biggest, you know, kind of public support. 
Yeah, yeah, seventeen or oh no, fourteen seventy nine. Fourteen seventy nine with the the testing and contract tracing and quarantine. This one's probably not going to get many people fired up about it. Um, it's more of one of these little extra things. I think that um, when you're focusing on the others, you might not be as worried about something like that. Uh, you could easily mention. It's going to have testing protocols constantly in place, and it's going to be forced on the children even after vaccine mandates could pass. Um, this is dangerous, you know, in the sense that we're always monitoring even healthy children on a regular basis, and mm-hmm. this would be a requirement for um, all the public schools. Right. Then there's 1464, the law enforcement one. Yeah. So that one, I think a lot of older people would probably understand and get behind because they'd say, you know how your sheriff stood up for your individual rights over the last two years? They're actually putting out a bill that would make it so the sheriffs cannot opt out of forcing you to do something. So if a public health order comes through, even if it infringes upon your individual constitutional rights, the sheriffs will be obligated by law to enforce it and you as a result, even if they don't support it. And they've been supporting the Constitution because that's a big part of what law enforcement does. And they've been vocal about it. They will no longer have those rights to fight for you and to to stand up for your individual rights. This would force them to have to do that. Um, 920 medical board yeah 920 um this one i would say that probably the best angle to discuss on this is saying that they're going to create a law that allows health representatives or government representatives to go into any doctor's office and look at confidential records without a judge's order without without your approval, that your personal, private, confidential medical information is now going to be open access to government officials at any time that they want. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would simplify it to that because out of all the things that you mentioned about it and how it threatens doctors and this and that, I think to an average citizen, the most important thing is your personal information yeah. is yeah. no longer going to be protected by the HIPAA laws that keep it confidential. It will now be accessible by government officials at any time that they're looking to do so for any cause, with or without your knowledge and definitely without your permission. Right, right. Then there's um, 2098 on professional conduct. Now, 2098, the reason I think this is an issue is this is like censoring people on social media about misinformation. Now it's censoring doctors on, quote, misinformation, meaning if you're a health practitioner or a professional that has an opinion that varies from what they want you to think, that no longer can you not even, you know, advise patients in that way because they're already trying to crack down on things like that and you know, keeping people under watch. But now you can't even have a communication about it. You're not allowed to post about it. You're not allowed to speak about right. it. You're not allowed to give a dissenting opinion on something related to COVID because somebody has decided what is and what isn't misinformation and somebody is going to be babysitting what is and isn't acceptable. And what has been interesting to me over the last two years is a lot of times people will say, well, don't you believe in science? Well, the, the reality is we've seen doctors on both sides of this. That means people who believe in science have disagreed with each other on the COVID thing. Right. And that's important right. to allow that because you're allowing people in the medical community to say, hey, wait a second, I've seen something different. What this bill is going to do is going to be censoring doctors from being able to have a differing opinion or an op- a dissenting opinion on what the government is laying forward and uh, trying to silence them from doing that, even if they have validity to what they're saying and, and basically squashing that 
um, discussion that we've been seeing in the public, but now in a medical platform. We, we want the medical discussion between doctors to be happening. We want this to be a robust discussion. And that would be a, a, a bill that basically censors doctors from being able to have a dissenting opinion. Yeah. Yeah. And I would worry as a doctor, you know, like in my office, I can say whatever I want to patients. I can counsel them in any way that I want. Mm. But I always, I would always have in the back of my mind, um, gosh, is, is this new patient right. a, a medical board plant? plant? And am I actually free to openly share my opinion now or am I not? Mm-hmm. And that, that's uh, like right right now, I've, I've always felt free. I've never uh, held back on my, you know, sharing my medical opinion with patients one-on-one in the office. But this bill would, would cause me to question that. Right. Um, and I think you could, you could speak to people, yeah, you go to a natural practitioner, don't you want your practitioner to, to not have that fear in the back of their mind as they're talking to you about your medical problem? And you're, you're asking them about, you know, out, outside the box treatments and natural treatments. But that's just uh, for people that go in that route. The majority right. of people that go to mainstream doctors might not agree with that might not motivate them enough right, to be against right, this. Right. What they should be concerned with is, hey, science hasn't always been right, right and it's yeah, important to have true. dissenting medical opinions. If you're not allowing medical professionals, even in their own practice, what they've witnessed to give a dissenting opinion like, hey, maybe you don't yeah. need to go on this blood pressure medication. Maybe you can just cut these things out of your diet. Yeah. That might be a considered a dissenting opinion. And now that doctor's not allowed to, to um, advise that for his patients or speak about right. that. We don't want to get to a place that's a slippery slope when it comes to medicine to not allow doctors to have a dissenting opinion. To me, that seems right. like probably how everybody could get behind right. understanding that yeah. part of it. Yeah. What I would say is listen to the things that Dr. Bob has mentioned about each of these bills and listen to my kind of summary version of it and and get some some concise talking points down about each of these things so that people the average person that you might come into contact with understands the danger of something. Don't listen to the headline of what they're going to put in the bill, whoever wrote it, because they're going to make it look like it's benign. They're going to make it look like this is, hey, this is how society has helped. Um, and that's not always the case. There's always something in there that's going to end up hurting people that they don't want to highlight. So I would say keep an eye out for um, the way that you speak about it and make sure that you understand they're going to make it look pretty uh, on the outside of it and make it look harmless and that's not always the case yeah yeah so anyway Uh, just something to keep in mind again these types of bills can come up in other states you want to get familiar with most i think the most important thing you know yes go see your representative but i think the most important thing is learning more to have discussions with people your neighbors your colleagues your family don't feel afraid to not include politics in your discussions with them because it's always so uncomfortable. This is goes beyond politics because this is really about, do you think society should be allowed to be governed in this way? Do you think our government that we've elected should be allowed to tell us this, this, and this? Here are the bills that I'm concerned with. Do you think that this seems fair? Is there a risk here? Is there a danger? Where could this go wrong? I mean, you don't want to think about the one positive thing it might it might offer if it's got 10 negatives. We have to think about how it's going to hurt us before we adopt something new like this that infringes on people's rights. And that is a regular conversation. That's not political. It's not about your opinions, you know, based on who you support, who you don't support. It's really about, it's an ideological conversation. And so as citizens, we need to have those with other people. Yeah. As soon as somebody might come up and, and and say, oh gosh, I'm so glad 
these restrictions are finally coming to an end because it just they've gone too far. That's a great opening for you to say, well, did you see if you're in California, let's say, for example, have you heard about these bills that they're introducing? Because not only did they go too far in these last two years, they're planning on taking it even further. And most people, you probably don't even know about this, about what they're trying to pass. These things get passed all the time without us even knowing. And here here are the couple that really concern me. And then just find little ways to bring it into conversation um, because we as a society have to talk about who is running thi- who who's running this like is it the people is it supposed to be the people if so we should be knowing about things and we should be deciding upon them uh, if it's not the people then we need to make some changes as it relates to that and that's a much larger spe- uh, a non-specific conversation that all states and all countries need to get behind so this kind of relates to everybody even if you're not in California and it's not affecting you personally this still affects you because this is indicative of a greater a yeah. greater discussion. No, absolutely. Um, so I want to direct you guys to a, a three organizations that that you can follow by getting emails or follow online that will keep you up to date on these bills. But more importantly, you can donate to these organizations to help fund their legislative efforts. You can join their events. You can you know share their posts, share their emails. Um, there, there are many organizations out there doing that. So I apologize if I if I leave you off the list. I was going to give you the the ones that I get emails from, and so I sort of appreciate their efforts in them keeping me up to date. One is um, it's California Health Coalition Advocacy, CHCA. So you can find them. You can just you know Google search them and find their organization. Sign up for their emails. Um, they've been keeping me you know nicely nice nicely informed, and they do have. Uh, they do accept um, donations to help fund their uh, their lobbyist efforts, and, and they've been uh, been effective in that respect. There's um, a Voice for Choice advocacy. They've been around for uh, for I think uh, even longer, um, watching these bills, using uh, um, lobbyists to help uh, you know man, you know watch these bills and help influence these bills, and they also take donations. There's, of course, nationwide, there's a NVIC, a National Vaccine Information Center, and they have a California group, a California advocacy chapter. And if you. And they're good at always watching bills across the state um, right. in general. Right. So, yeah. So, if you're not in California, but you want to watch your, yeah. your state's bills, sign up for your state's NVIC advocacy portal. You know, donate to them. You know, these, these, these organizations, it costs money to, to do these things. And so. And time. You know, so much yeah. time. Oh, so much time. Yeah. So, we appreciate the, the efforts that these groups put forward. Um, and uh, so, yeah, check those guys, those out, you guys. And um, thank you for joining us for this uh, very interesting conversation. Um, and uh, I look forward to posting next. Our, we're going to do a piece on on how COVID issues parallel the larger vaccine narrative. Some of what we sort of touched down today, but but we'll sort of give you ideas on how to bring people who are now questioning COVID. Uh, narratives, how to open their eyes to the whole vaccine conversation so they can join you in your fights for medical freedom as it as it pertains to the entire narrative. So that'll be a, an interesting episode that we will hopefully be putting out soon. But thanks for joining us on the vaccine conversation. Bye-bye.
The information in this podcast is for entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as medical advice. Always consult your healthcare professional for information on vaccines and infectious diseases.